This is the Future of Cybercrime podcast, a new show dedicated to helping security practitioners on the front lines of defending their organization from the cybercrime underground. I'm your host, Zyra Perzada, former Gartner analyst, information security and risk strategist, and storyteller. Now, let's jump right into today's episode. everyone. Welcome back to the Future of Cybercrime podcast with Kellam, where I speak with cybersecurity professionals, perhaps like yourselves, about the cybercrime underground. Today, I have with me Nirali Bhatia. Nirali Bhatia is a counseling psychologist and certified cognitive behavioral therapist, and she has a specialty in cyber psychology. She's also a well-renowned TEDx speaker, corporate trainer, and media personality. You may have seen her work on the television show, MTV Troll Police. Also, as a founder of an anti-cyberbullying organization named CyberBAP, which is an acronym for Cyberbullying Awareness Action and Prevention, she counsels the victims of cybercrimes, online psychological damages, and even addictions. Thanks, Dinali, for joining me today. Thank you, Zan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, we have not yet had a cyber psychologist on the podcast. So I want to talk to you about your, your, your career. What inspired you to study psychology, especially that of cyber criminals? Well, you know, every, every place I go, I get this reaction that, okay, what is cyber psychology, especially in my country? I'm from India. And uh, here it's a very, very new domain. It's, it's, the word is still not out there. While I understand that this field is as old as, you know, two decades and above. Uh, my journey in psychology started very early when I was doing my graduation. And, you know, one of the subjects that uh, was in my uh, curriculum was advertising, which intrigued me towards how people make decisions, how we influence them. And, you know, from there, the whole interest into human mind and thought process and behavior started. Uh, while I did not pursue advertising, tech was something that uh, interested me much more. And I, I started my career early on with building applications and websites. And I'm talking way back in 2000. But while we were making those applications, there always used to be this kind of quest that, you know, um, the one who's watching the, or one who is uh, coming onto my website, how does it make them feel? What kind of emotion is it triggering in them? What is influencing their decision? I mean, in their decision, if I'm, if I'm writing this, is that what is interesting them? Or is it the color or is it the presentation? So these were the questions which took me to uh, a direction where I got myself uh, you know, certified as a usability analyst where I got an insight into user behavior in an online domain. And from there, uh, along with that, I was also pursuing my degree in human psychology. So I've done my master's in counseling psychology. Now, bringing that back to technology was a very, very interesting, uh, you know, work for me. And I really, really enjoyed it. Way back in, you know, 2010 or so, cybercrime was not as evident and as broad as it is right now. Even then, 
some of our clients would have you know a kind of a, a small little instance of their servers being hacked or something and early on i got exposure to negotiating with these cyber criminals and that's where the actual interest started in understanding why would somebody do this you know why would they want to uh, simply uh, you know leak your data what what kind of like they've not got money but they've just leaked the data what is that as you know what kind of pleasure are they deriving from this what is their drive and that's where my interest got deeper and deeper into the psyche of these cyber criminals but the but the most turning point i can say in my life which got me into a deeper research into cyber psychology was when i did this mtv troll police show uh mtv troll police was about you know celebrities get trolled a lot and these trolls they use anonymity that internet offers to you know stay behind the screen create a false identity and get away by saying whatever they want to say so when we were doing that show my company was also hired to identify who are these actual trolls all we had was you know their uh, instagram id or their twitter id and from that they used to uh, you know get some suspects like okay this is the real person behind and my role over there was to kind of do an analysis a net profiling to be very precise that who is this person and believe me out of uh, you know 30 or trolls i profiled 15 uh, episodes we were aired all of them were ordinary young men from houses like yours and mine as common citizen could be and it was surprising because when i meet them in person it's so difficult to match up to the personality that they have in cyberspace what made this but young boy of 22 and 23 get on to this extreme where he was trolling a celebrity using extremely foul violent and sexually unacceptable language incredible uh, that and well boldness. you know the communication with them uh where where you know some of them would say i didn't even realize that i have written them so that's what made it furthermore you know uh, extremely interesting to know that what is the cyber effect that's that's how i got deeper and deeper into you know doing lots of researches uh, educating people conducting awareness so this has been the journey and i'm still continuing in fact now i'm pursuing my doctorate uh, in cyber psychology Oh incredible. You just gave us a wealth of information. So I'd like to address first where you were coming from. You went straight into this uh the psychology of advertisement. That's big because a good amount of cybercrime is phishing. Sure. Uh at least yes. in the corporate space, right? So uh it's really discerning what could make the viewer vulnerable. to buy to purchase to entice etc it's working on human vulnerabilities so you've got Absolutely. that down uh what a nice way to get into it a different angle yeah and and trust me none of this was planned like i said that you know in my country there was no such field existing where you could marry technology and psychology in a literal term you know having been called as a cyber psychologist or so but it was it was just uh you know that whole interest which started with one little subject 
and I could use it and apply it in my work. That's that's where it became a reality for me. Well, you chose the prime time. You're really creating the hotbed for what will be a boom in cyber psychology. I fully believe in the next few years, especially with the rate cybercrime is increasing, right? Absolutely. I wish we have more and more students choosing cyber as their specialization in psychology. Uh, and we could at some point not outnumber, but at least match the number of criminals, cyber criminals coming up. Mm, well, you'll be a big part of that. I know for sure, especially <laughs> as we get the word out. So you started from the advertisement part and then slowly started to get into the mind of the criminal. The MTV Troll Police Show, very cool in that some of these people didn't even know the effect of what they wrote. So. Were they struggling with certain, let's just say, behavioral and psychological issues? Uh, so yes and no both. So a common trait that I've seen in most of the trolls, like while and while I was doing MTV Troll Police, and even otherwise now that you know it's it's been almost a decade that I've been working in the space of net profiling, helping the cybercrime investigators and even law and order agencies on certain cases in terms of, you know, suspect profiling and so on. There are two to three common aspects that we see. Uh, boredom and uh, experimenting being a very large uh, trait. Mostly the crimes where uh, it's it's not a well planned uh, well planned financial crime, where it's more about you know a trolling, bullying, shaming. A lot of times, perpetrators, when I've spoken to them, have given me this insight that they didn't realize that what they are doing is going to hurt someone. They were just entertaining themselves. They enjoyed that whole feeling of uh, you know making others laugh because we have a lot of bystanders who support that these kind of you know nasty comments which end up into troll uh, making them trolls so these are a bigger commentaries while yes uh, there is a segment where they themselves are struggling with emotional distress and they find an escape over here or there is uh, some conflict within them they're fighting their own demons. And, you know, if in the real life, they're not having a voice, they're not having a say, or if they have complexes about themselves, cyber, they use to create an identity for themselves, which in real life is completely different. So I have worked with these kind of trolls and bullies as well who wanted to feel powerful because in real life, they could not do it. And the only way they could figure out was by belittling someone, by trolling someone, or by bullying someone. So I would say that, uh, you know, it's many a times boredom, entertainment, which it starts with, but then they taste the power. They taste the power of anonymity and feeling powerful by manipulating and controlling someone emotionally, which becomes very addictive for them. And then they can't stop what they're doing, despite of that feeling that, you know, the little inside, they do get that, okay, maybe what I'm doing is not so good, but they can't stop it. Power, which they probably feel disenfranchised about, and then the inability to stop. So addictive behavior, really, to power yes. is a driver. 
Is this what you most find? Most of the time. Most. So how about those driven by the financial incentive of crime? How does their psychology differ a bit? So uh, in, in the cases that I have witnessed in my uh, experience of a decade now, there are two types of uh, criminals in the financial crime segment. One is an organized segment where, you know, they're running an organization uh, where they're running these scams. They're doing volume businesses. like. Uh, and the other one is where uh, they're experimenting. They're finding the gaps and loopholes in, you know, uh, a system and trying to evade it. Or they are emotionally manipulating and you know, uh, getting people to pay up money or conning them or so. So if we look at uh, scams like romance scams, which end up in you know financial crime as well. So this is the segment where where it is the all those factors which I told you first. Well, they're getting bored. It's the attention that they get. It's the power you know power drive, and at the same time, they have figured out how to manipulate and get the money and scam somebody out of it. While on the other side, we have scams, organized scams, like, you know, or organized crimes, like ransom, like phishing attacks, like uh, uh, extortion, which is also eventually it leads to financial uh, crime. It starts with, uh, you know, uh, it starts with bullying, but it ends up in uh, victim paying up. So these are all organized crimes. Uh, they're not. They're not doing too much of uh, what I would call is as like you know. There's no personal intent over here, but their motivation is money. Their motivation is exploitation. Their motivation is that whole thrill that they get out of uh, you know being successful in running these scams because they're looking at large number of victims. This is a helpful distinction. Now, I wonder how things change when you have one single actor versus a group. What influences the psychology of a group versus a single person? A single person as a perpetrator has to be, uh, you know, in terms of technology and in terms of psychology, has to be well-read at both the places to be a master manipulator. because then they are targeting very niche audiences, as in they are studying their victims. They are throwing the right bait. And, you know, like I would say spear fishing, if you have to use a term for it. Why? When there is a clue, it's like any other work. So they all work on a common objective of making money, of finding loopholes and of getting away with, you know, a thrill seeking behavior. So these are the common collective uh, emotions that they all work on as a crew. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of uh, a series called Jamtara. It, it explains, so it's there on Netflix, if you get a chance to watch on it, it is based upon, uh, you know, the entire modus operandi of certain sets of financial crimes, the scams basically. So they have, of course, they, for entertainment purpose, they've added a lot of uh, spice into it uh, with emotional stories of each uh, you know, criminal. However, it collectively shows the tribe, which is very common that they want to all make money very fast. 
they want to get that thrill out of you know staying anonymous and conning smart people and getting away with it so this is the drive for the crew while an individual is very largely emotionally driven uh like i said it could be boredom it could be entertainment it could be you know uh thrill seeking behavior either please or a personal vengeance so there's there's so much confidence at play do you see any correlation in your work between the physical real life actions of these individuals versus their online do they have similar criminal behavior in their in their real world actions or no so it's difficult to say that it is a i mean i cannot generalize it however there will be an underlying trait which would be same and you know uh, why it's difficult to make a general statement that yes there is always a common uh, behavioral trait is because when you enter the cyber world you have the ability to compartmentalize and have multiple identities because there is a disassociation with your physical body and you can you have a choice of projecting whoever you want to be however in the physical world that is a constraint we cannot do that we have to accept we have to acknowledge who we are and there's a limitation i am visible so that's where there i we have seen a lot of perpetrators who are completely different in their real world uh that the philosophies are different but when they enter the cyberspace they can be completely opposite person so i'm not saying that everyone is like this but more or less cyber allows us to be a completely different person so not necessary that always there will be a common trait uh, or there could be common uh, thought processes philosophies that drive them in their real lives versus their online lives yes uh, there are certain emotional traits and emotional behavioral aspects which are common which could be driven by the cyber world and you know we can see an output in the physical world so cyber stalking is one common outcome of that stalking is very easy in the cyber world and we've seen a lot of instances of cyber stalking leading into a crime in the physical world because they carry that same emotion here in the physical world so that way there is a relationship when it comes to extreme emotions that i haven't heard before cyber stalking oh, in, in, find its way to trend in fact uh, in india we do have a statistic of at least 20 cases of cyber stalking which have resulted into a physical assault mm. on the victim wow so the it's as though the intent was always there and this was an information gathering exercise to fulfill the intent yes to a certain extent do you happen to work with organizations that have people who speak about these things so uh to be honest awareness is there organizations are aware and many of them are implementing a lot of such measures which uh, you know help them in uh, basically you know the threat intelligence tools or behavior analysis uh, softwares and stuff but 
each organization more or less will implement one or the other they're not taking it uh, all all types of uh, you know uh, programs and all types of necessities collectively so while maybe we'll have one organization which is focusing on threat intelligence programs or there could be another one who is only you know uh, investing into a behavior analyst uh, software or something while there could be another organization who is only investing into trainings and drills and etc what is the need of the hour is an organization to ensure that you know they are taking a holistic approach to the prevention and to their security plans they inculcate all of these not in you know bits and segments they need to have a team which is you know uh, going to be looking into the drills not only about phishing but also about incident response uh the drills about you know how to be prepared if there is a ransomware attack or even a behavior analyst uh, software running which helps the trainings to be very very specific to cater to that kind of audience so the point i'm trying to make is that while organizations are aware that how we use technology and the significance of you know uh behavior analysis profiling and overall in terms of you know having a cyber psychologist on board is there but how many of us are implementing it together not we are not yet there how would you propose a solution so like i said that uh, while the organizations or the entire corporate world is aware of you know uh, what needs to be done it's about collaborating it is about not working in uh, you know a, a very very singular domain like like i mentioned earlier that what's happening right now is that uh, as as a large organization i will invest uh, or my cyber security plan or a program may have only one aspect extremely covered up while not the other one like i said that you have to have all these uh, you know aspects equal weighted given in your security program so some of them will invest high high in technology and where the human element is ignored while some of them may be very sensitively working towards you know uh, empowering the human the weak link which we call as humans when it comes to cyber security programs uh, and not really you know take care of the tech aspect also it is about bringing everything on the table at once not one after the another or uh, just one at a time kind of and another area where i feel that you know uh, what the organizations can do is then they can start collaborating they can start sharing information amongst them what we have seen as a practice is that you know if there is any kind of uh, a breakthrough that an organization has got uh in terms of cyber security uh, plans and programs they're not open to sharing it that is one case other is even if they have been victimized or compromised they're not even sharing that if we don't collaborate and do not have you know uh, all the players involved at one uh level it's going to get difficult the, so if the organization is under a ransomware attack they will not they will not share it with the law and order 
They will not share the information with other organizations so they can be prepared unless we collectively start working together, collaborate, share information, share researches. It's going to be very difficult to actually match up the way cyber criminals are, uh, you know, investing in tech, growing smarter and exploiting bigger and bigger. So it's time that, you know, we, we work on two major aspects. One is sharing of information and collaboration and other is constant and continuous research. Mm. Research in terms of behavioral analysis and cybercyber. Oh, I totally agree with you. I, I also sincerely hope we're moving more towards a collaborative world. And I think the bedrock of it is building trust. On a side note, you did discuss just a bit about what could be happening during an incident response process. And furthermore, maybe, unfortunately, a ransomware negotiation. During ransomware negotiations, what have you noticed throughout <laughs> the process? And what is quite unique about cyber criminals throughout that process as well? So I have uh, myself been in on the negotiating team for uh, a few such instances. There are three common factors in most of the negotiations. Uh, ransomware attack is a highly organized one. You know, it's not like one individual sitting there and trying his luck with your organization's data. Not yet. I haven't uh, come across, uh, you know, that level. While I'm talking about larger organizations being under threat, uh, and we've been a team who is negotiating for them. So what I have noticed is that the, the perpetrator or uh, the criminal, they work on psychological impact. They create that kind of uh, threat or a scenario where they're going to manipulate you emotionally, not talking about the volumes of the data, but about you know uh, the defamation that comes. So they're going to play on a defamation angle very largely, and they make it extremely time sensitive. That I can be generous, but only for this time. So that's a that's a very unique trait about them. Like the moment, so as a negotiator, when I'm trying to build trust, immediate switches to the time to cut off that trust because they don't want to get trapped into that trust element where they they want to, you know, I, I had one such experience where the perpetrator kept uh, emphasizing on his skills of uh, technology, that how he could crack through the organization's network and how he did such a noble job for the organization to find the loophole and how he should be compensated. So, so again, that is an emotionally packaged uh, way of saying that, hey, look, I'm not attacking you. I am only pointing out to you the vulnerability in your network and why don't you reward me for that? So before, yeah, so and it was like a very subtle wrong. Way, yeah, and it was a very subtle way of him saying. So when, when we said that, you know, hey, thank you so much, we would love to, you know, engage. And uh, why don't we have you as an ethical hacker for us or something? And that then, well, uh, he wasn't prepared for this. So of course, the threat followed that um, 
uh, well right now i need this reward or you know i could have also easily uh, published your data and you know how you could get be famed uh, with this because of course they were holding very very extremely sensitive uh, data so it was a medical organization and hence uh so yes they, this is very one of case but most of the times they are very platonic in their uh, approach um they they keep emphasizing and building up the pressure in terms of time not wanting to give you time to think they want you to you know act on impulse and immediately come up with a figure because they understand that if if they allow you time they are going to lose that power over you to you know threaten you to put you under that pressure to take an immediate decision so that's that's what becomes interesting and and you know as as a negotiator uh, my always that effort is you know it's 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 very even if the modus operandi is absolutely same each negotiation is still different in its own way as in you know buying time is the biggest uh, uh, i could say thrill seeking experience in a negotiation but at the same time ensuring that you know we we build a little trust because it's it's a very delicate line to be working upon while at one point there have been instances where despite of agreeing to pay up the data is still being leaked so there's mm. no such guarantee you know so so to to you have to be very very smart in terms of not making the perpetrator feel that you've got their nerves that's the key is what i feel so far <laughs> so it's it's proving to the wow so but if you if you let them believe that you are smarter than them then you're inviting trouble that's ah. that's the whole thing <laughs> wow maintaining that they feel like they've won the entire time yes. they are smarter that's that that's what drives them Before we continue on to the remainder of our episode, I would like to take a brief moment to speak about our sponsor Kayla. Kayla delivers 100% real, actionable, timely and contextual intelligence about cyber threats and threat actors. With Kayla's home-brewed threat and compromise intelligence, your organization is empowered to identify, prioritize and effectively mitigate digital security risks. I personally think it's a wonderful product, though you'll only know if you try it for yourself. Kayla offers an extended free trial of its cyber threat intelligence platform on their website kaylacyber.com. That is k e l a c y b e r.com. Visit kaylacyber.com to unlock the free trial today. Initiate proactive cyber defense and stay ahead of your threats. Now, let's get back to our episode. How have organizations responded typically in your experience to uh large-scale incidences? When you get looped in, what do you view as the common reaction? And then what happens after? What's the reaction after? So, uh the most common reaction is the moment i am in the negotiating team or you know in the incident response team is they start 
seeing the entire episode from the human element, they start seeing that there is a human perpetrator. Until then, it's about systems, it's about infrastructure, it's about data, the panic is all about that. And all they're talking about is like, you know, this is the technology that is attacking me. So then when that changes is where the panic reduces, they feel that, okay, if there is a human, I can talk, I can pursue it and stuff like that. So the practical thinking kicks in, hope kicks in, uh, that's that's where uh, the change comes in. Of course, it's it's not me alone. We are a team, and I do have in my team. You know, there will be a technical uh, expert. There would be a, a financial decision maker, and of course, there is the crime cyber crime investigating expert as well. So when we work as a team, uh, then it, it looks far more balanced and then that gives them that kind of, uh, you know, trust that, yes. But like I said, that it's amazing to see uh, the expressions change. Like when I, when I mean, when I, I've noticed this, that when I entered the room, it, they're all talking about new technology and, you know, this is what was wrong with my infrastructure. This is what I'm then And then after a little bit of analysis and a talk and the like, okay, I understand, now there's a human and, you know, the whole sentiment changes. So it's it's an interesting field to be in. Wow, it, wow. Gives, it, it gives a lot of insight in terms of, uh, you know, helping that same organization plan these kind of incident responses. A lot of organizations invest only into phishing drill, or I would rather say, uh, you know, they, they only may have a red, had at, uh, or red team exercises, but we also need, uh, you know, to prepare the team who is who is going to be part of these negotiations. Who's going to be so? It I've, I haven't come across many of them having these drills with real humans behind the screen. The the way cybercrime works or the way cyber uh, entire space functions is a very psychological space. No matter how much you have prepared, uh, you know, your entire team, you've done tons of drills and awareness trainings and sessions. But at that very moment, your emotions are not constant, right? At that very moment, what emotion is triggered is going to completely change your response. So I may be the smartest of person. I have read well about all this kind of crimes and modus operandi and traps and all. I'm well prepared. But when that email comes to me, I don't, I mean, what kind of emotion does it trigger in me can never be 100% gauged. I could be having a bad day with my husband and, and I saw an email and, you know, I wasn't thinking straight and I just click and I fell for it. I'm just giving you an example. That's where we read, you know, that uh, when specifically, you know, I, I'll cite indi individuals who have fallen prey, who are, you know, um, very, very uh, high professionals, uh, accomplished people, and yet fallen prey. Why? Because it's an emotional triggering space. And you cannot prepare somebody 100% that, okay, if, you know, that's what, they say you do it because you're not sure what emotion is it going to trigger in you. 
So true. Hence, preparation is required that if this mm-hmm. emotion triggered, how do you go ahead with it? So practice, absolutely just practice response, incident response all the way through crisis communication yes. to the negotiation table. So all of it is necessary. So right at the tail end, let's say the negotiation has occurred. It's been successful, not successful. You choose the example. What do you see as the common reaction after? What happens? (laughs) So the very, very uh, common reaction is good teamwork, successful, and they're very motivated and very challenged that now I'm going to tweak my entire security plan and all of this. But as soon as we're back to business, we are back to that, it's never going to happen again. So that's, that's, a very, <laughs> that's a very common reaction. And oh then, then, it, then it goes on to, uh, you know, pointing out. So, you know, it's, it's a very uh, deep-seated human need to, somebody needs to own up that mistake. We cannot just accept the fact that it was a collective error or it was never an error it was bound to happen so there's that whole quest of you know like but who was it let you know that that digging that goes on for a while and then we are back to business and then security takes back feet and then the organization funnels a lot of money into security and then security gets a neat budget for a while until they get questioned again because memory yes. falters <laughs> so people are like wait <laughs> uh, more more than memory falters i feel we still choose to love and live in that hope that it's not going to happen to me oh that's so sad um but you know best like you know best why that may happen uh given what you know about cyber psychology on the perpetrator side and then here on the defensive side how can we fight cybercrime better in business enterprises? When it comes to business enterprises, our security goals are going to define how prepared are we. Like I said, that it's not always about uh, you know prevention. It is also that there has to be focus on preparedness. We also understand that cyber world is very unpredictable. No matter how prepared you are, there is still uh, a, you know, a huge gap. And uh, like uh, in our, in our uh, like when I mentioned Jantara, it has a very popular tagline in Hindi, which says Sapka Nambaraiga. What it means is that everyone is going to, at some point in time, fall prey to this. Now it is all about how prepared are we to face it when it happens? So I think if the shift from prevention to preparedness will bridge the gap to a very large extent. And I again reiterate that sharing of information because we as the community of organizations as cybersecurity professionals, all of us have to come together so that if we share information, we are becoming a group together for criminals to penetrate. It becomes harder. It's very common that until and unless everything is done with, covered, 
shoved under the cushions nobody talks about what happened in their organization and that's what the advantage cyber criminals take because they know you're not going to tell other organization and they have much more avenues of targeting different different organizations so if we don't build that collaborative community we're never going to have a 100% foolproof cyber security plan i hope we do too we have to navigate a lot of human pride and trust in the real world to get to this kind of knowledge sharing so many organizations are reluctant because they know that if they expose it then they show that they too have a kink in the armor and right. having that it, i suffice it to say it makes you more human but i suppose for shareholders and for the rest of the world and the consumer and customer world it makes you just a little bit more weak and so i can understand the reluctance <laughs> however i do hope that there are more private ways to share this internally or through certain measures so that we can fortify so our I'll, I'll differ here a little bit you i i completely agree to what you said that and that's primarily the reason why organizations don't share is because they don't want to look weak they don't want their share values to be falling or so but i beg to differ here a little bit and let's understand and accept that these are new ways you know since we are working in a digital world in a cyber world where cyber crime and criminals are getting smarter by the day now it has become so let me cite covid's example initially when you were testing positive it was a matter of uh, shame and defamation you know if you cough in a public space people would literally you know outcast you and and you know they would they would actually think that you are danger to them but after a, after two years now of the pandemic and all we breached a place where we accept it as part of our regular day it's just another virus now we don't you know label people now we don't react to it the way we were we are accepting that it's part and parcel similarly these instances of you know data breaches are becoming uh, as common because you know the number at at which or the rate at which these kind of breaches are growing so if we take out that you know shame element out of it and we stop looking at the organizations that oh you know they are really weak and you know the shared values will fall down because of that and all if we remove this then it becomes a much more easier uh, process to share that information and i believe to a certain extent it has started happening however we still have a far fetched way to go so i think it's a little shift in the mindset in the corporate world that needs to happen it's it's as simple as that when the technology had come into existence there were some organizations who adapted very early on and there were some who took time we did not look down upon the organizations who did not adapt early on so same way we have to do over here that no matter how robust an infrastructure you have there is still a possibility it's all about reducing that possibility of you know having that vulnerability what an incredible counter example to the one i gave because it's and i agree it's true it's uh, just again making someone more human or saying okay now that we've alleviated our response to this uh yes. and it's the response it's the problem <laughs> then now we can all share because 
it's just going to be common. In our remaining time, I just want to take a tiny shift to the work you do for individuals. We talked a lot about cyber criminals, enterprises, but it comes down to the human. In your work in educating previous victims, what are some of the key takeaways that you can give our listeners on what to do when they are involved in an instance of compromise or they're involved in an instance of cyberbullying? Right. So to common listeners who's, who's still not, uh, you know, affected by this or who are uh, still not being compromised or something, remember two points. One, in the cyberspace, the word is zero trust. Trust does not exist. You need to fact check, you need to verify, and then only proceed. And the other one is practicing the pause. When we are in cyberspace, like I said, it's a psychological space. It triggers emotions. So uh, let me give you an example. Like uh, right now, I'm you know in in recording this uh, session, and my phone is ringing, and I'm only putting an auto message that I'm busy. Call me later. The person who receives this message has not heard me say it, neither has seen me say it, and doesn't know where I am or what I'm doing. He or she only has received. How they react or how they perceive that message is based on how they feel at that point of time. If someone is not in a positive frame of mind, may think that, oh my God, she's got an attitude. She's just saying, call me later. And someone who's you know, uh, having a good day, normal day, positive frame of mind may really say, okay, fine, she'll call back later. What it means is that how you are responding is based on not what you see on screen how it makes you feel. That's where it is. And hence, practicing that pause is very, very important. So if you come across anything which is getting you overexcited, whether it's a phishing link which tells you you won a lottery or something, or you're getting a great job offer from a job scam, take a pause. Don't immediately react. Take a pause, think about it, fact check it, and then respond. So these two could be your biggest weapons. One is don't trust unless you have fact-checked. And there are multiple ways to do this. It just takes about an extra few minutes, but it could save you a lot. And practicing the pause, whether it is reacting to a comment or a tweet, which you know could end up you becoming a troll or becoming a victim of bullying or so, or whether it is acting onto any kind of, you know, uh, exciting offer or a scheme or etc. So this is for the listeners. The ones who have been a victim or are being victimized. One big point is do not shy away from seeking help. These are new age crimes. This is a, a new avenue and you don't have to know everything. There is no judgment. Any one of us can fall prey to this. Like I said, that you know, it's it's a very very emotional, triggered crime. So don't shy away. Do not believe that it is your fault alone. Talk about it to someone and seek help. Save the evidences in the digital space. That's our biggest, uh, you know, weapon that we can have evidences. So record, screenshot, and report. A lot of times we believe that nothing can be done and we just, you know, either we will 
completely delete that account or destroy the device. But trust me, that is your biggest evidence. So don't ever delete that or remove that. Instead, report it. Even if it's a minuscule listing, you, you did not fall prey to it, but you came across that message, which is you know, looking like a phishing message or, or a trolling incident, report it. Because it can make you an upstander and it could help others falling victim to this. So that's that's how you know independently and at an individual level we can safeguard ourselves. And when it comes to organizations, uh, having an ongoing research will strengthen your cybersecurity plan and. Having a balanced cybersecurity plan, which is balancing the human element as well as the technology element, is the key. Where you collaborate, share information, and take care of both. Sensitize and make aware the human elements at the same time. Prepare them with the technological uh, you know, interventions as well. So I hope I've tried and covered all three um you know areas you have you've done it so wonderfully too thank you all right I, I don't want to take up more and more of your time though I know I could because this is absolutely fascinating before I let you go where can cyber practitioners and everyone else listening and find you so LinkedIn is the best place to find me and of course I'm there on Instagram as Nirali Bhatia. I'm there on Twitter as Nirali Bhatia. I have a website which is uh, v4websybersecurity.com. You can reach out to me over there. Otherwise, on LinkedIn, you can find me as Nirali Bhatia. That's the best way to get in touch. Perfect. I will link it in the yes. show notes. And one last thing if you or any of your loved ones, you know, are uh, being bullied online or have been victims of bullying, do not hesitate and you can reach out to my anti-cyberbullying organization that's CyberBAP, which stands for Cyberbullying Awareness Action and Prevention. We do help victims to navigate through the bullying experience and move on in their lives. That's, that's it from my side. So you can find us on our portal www.cyberbap.org. Thank you, Nirali. I will put that as well in the show notes and make thank sure you. that absolutely. And and thank you for all of the wonderful work that you do. It's always reassuring for me every time I record one of these podcasts and meet incredible people like you, that everyone has a mission-oriented focus to humanity to make it better. So sincerely from myself to thank you, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you so much, Saira. And I'm so happy that, uh, you know, you and many more organizations like you are taking up this as a cause that has to become a household talk. Oh, Thank you for that. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Well, everyone, this is all the time that we will have for today, though you can keep the conversation alive as well. You know where to find us on LinkedIn for Kayla. And then if you go on Kayla's website, you can click on the episode and listen to it in full. And then of course, on all your streaming platforms. So we really want to make these episodes accessible to you. 
continue the conversation. Let us know what questions you have and you know where to find it, Ali. You know where to find me. Otherwise, thank you again for listening in and I hope to see you next time. Until then, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Future of Cybercrime podcast brought to you by Kella. For the latest episodes, please visit ke-la.com or search Future of Cybercrime on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks, and we'll catch you on the next episode.